0: always that zigzag mentality. I'm always looking at where the industry is going now and why haven't they gone here and what can we do to make it go here? And then the industry kind of grows around that as well. And I think that's an important component if we want to green the grid. You can't just focus on one area of the country or the world for that matter. You've got to think of it as a whole.
1: Welcome to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast featuring conversations with leaders of the energy transition hosted by Smart Energy Decisions founder, John Fiella. In each episode of Smart Energy Voices, John digs deep with industry movers and shakers to reveal insights you can learn from in their stories, personalities, and visions for the future. All right, let's dive in.
2: Hi, everyone. I'm John Faella and welcome back to Smart Energy Voices. At our recent Renewable Energy Sourcing Forum, our Director of Education Program's the renowned Peter Kelly Ditweiler had the opportunity to sit down with Rob Threlkeld global manager of sustainable energy supply and reliability at General Motors for 10 questions about the what the why and the how GM will achieve their goal to source all electricity for their operations with 100% renewable energy, as well as what Rob sees as the biggest challenges and opportunities in the future of renewable energy sourcing. It's a lively conversation that you won't want to miss a single minute of. Here's Peter and Rob.
3: Hi, I'm Peter Kelly Detweiler. I'm Director of Educational Programs for Smart Energy Decisions. And with me today, I have the pleasure of having Rob Threlkeld. He's the Global Manager for Sustainable Energy Supply and Reliability at General Motors. And Rob and I decided that to make this interesting, we do uh, 10 questions, which we prepared in advance. And two of the questions at the end will be sort of longer format. But the first eight are I ask the question and Rob gets one minute, just one minute to answer the question. So we're going to move this thing right along. So, Rob, before we get started on that, can you just explain a little bit what you do at GM in the sustainability space?
0: Yeah, so my full-time job is to lead a team, a small team that procures all the energy for General Motors and the North America, continent of North America, I guess you could say. So gas, electricity, water, sewer, energy efficiency, renewables, you know, obviously I've gotten my big start supporting a lot of GM's, you know, RE100 goals, but lead a team that is tasked with about three quarters of a
3: billion dollars worth of uh, procurement uh, on an annual basis. Excellent. So, here come the questions. First one, how long have you been working on sustainability issues for GM, and how did you get started in that role?
0: Well, so really, it almost kind of goes back to when I hired in a GM. So, I've been a GM for almost 20 years, all in the energy space. I've built and designed powerhouses, power plants, you know, looking at ways we can optimize the efficiency. I've operated powerhouses and power plants and led the energy efficiency efforts of one of our largest assembly complexes, I've then kind of went back into the contracts role and supported uh, our energy savings program implementation, which is how we do energy efficiency projects within General Motors. That kind of morphed into looking at renewables back in the early days, call it early days 2005, when we first started looking at some of our renewable projects. Fast forward to now, where I kind of lead the broader team that looks at what we're going to do to procure 100% of our electricity from renewable resources, of which we're well on our way, about a quarter of the way there now today. So it's it's quite the journey that I've been in. It, it started for quite some time, uh, even prior to my career at General Motors.
3: Excellent. Next question. What's the biggest challenge you've encountered so far with respect to greening up the General Motors portfolio?
0: I think it's it's really, and you said the kind of key word there is portfolio. And I think it's really getting everyone to really focus in on and understand that it is a portfolio strategy. It's no different than how you would invest your money. You know, You wouldn't invest it all in one stock because now you put all your horses into one installed. So, it's really looking at it from a portfolio strategy, which means looking at it, you know, as I kind of call our four-pillar strategy. It's energy efficiency, sourcing renewables. It's looking at storage, ways do we address the intermittency that renewables bring to the grid, and how do we then leverage our policy and scale to really drive that effort? And those kind of get into a framework of, okay, well, I understand that, but what does that mean from a portfolio view and a risk-tolerance standpoint, especially when you're in a large company like GM? So, energy efficiency, obviously low hanging fruit. You know, when you start to think about pillar two and sourcing renewables, that gets a little more complicated. Now you got to kind of think about it in a portfolio within itself. And that's doing cell phone projects in our own facilities, whether it's solar or landfill gas, whether it's then sourcing through green tariffs with utilities, or it's Sourcing through power purchase agreements, the virtual power purchase agreements that we've done, or in some cases, physical power purchase agreements. Oh, okay, about,
3: next oh, up, uh, next question, geez, Rob. Ran out of
0: time. What? I told you, really you going to su- have... Hold me tight to this. <laughs> <laughs> what have been the biggest surprises to date in your sustainability career? I think the biggest surprises to date is how fast prices have come down. I mean, I remember when we built our first solar array in 2005, which at the point at that point in time was a one megawatt a rooftop array. The cost per watt to install that was over $9. And you fast forward to 2020, you're sub a dollar a watt in some cases, and you've just seen the acceleration of technology adoption. I mean, it seemed like 10 years ago it was such, gonna be a very complicated process to think about how are we gonna get even just a few of our facilities and growing the number of megawatts. Our original sustainability goal is to source or promote the use of 125 megawatts renewables. And here we are, we've set a goal to be 100% renewable and we're well on our way, 24% of the way there practically right now, or a quarter percent, want to call it. So it's, I think that's been the biggest surprise, as we've seen in the industry,
3: is how fast technology is driving down costs. So that's been a pleasant surprise. Now let's turn to an unpleasant surprise. Well, can you tell us about the impact of COVID-19 on your efforts, both personally and within GM? And what are you hearing at large out there in the sustainable community? How are people dealing with this?
0: You know, I, I think it's the it's the unknowns. Every day is an unknown. You know, I remember as this pandemic started to kind of be called a pandemic, and everybody still in this country, I think, really didn't fully comprehend what that was going to mean. But we rapidly did by the time by the middle of March rolled around, when literally every came everything came to a standstill. I mean, I've never seen an entire operations of a company basically shut down to zero. And for us, it was a big, to a degree, learning curve because we were lucky and fortunate enough to have quite a bit of flexibility built into our contracts but it also became another glaring component of energy was still a big cost. And how do we start to think about that collectively? And I think it's it's been interesting to watch the industry as a whole kind of start to share a lot more data and very fast looking at how do we save energy from all the way from retail to industrial companies like GM to even thinking about your residential, because obviously now you're at home, you're consuming more energy. And so I think it's those types of adjustments we've really had to make as a result of COVID. And then how do we come out of it? You know, as we restarted operations, it wasn't a tomorrow we restart operations, whereas we shut down operations within 24 hours. It was a gradual restart of operations. And how does that impact our contracts for energy and ultimately the suppliers and notifications? Because it's not something you just want to go from zero to 100% tomorrow. It's part of the planning cycle that the utilities were engaged in too. And so, I think it's, it's really been, I've seen a lot more sharing of, of information and, and Sharing of details within companies more so than I've ever done, even through
3: the the Smart Energy Decisions Network. That's pretty heartening. Now, you've been involved in a lot of these deals. When a deal gets inked, you're committing the company, and the company is committing itself to some pretty significant financial commitments. How do you think about managing the inherent risk involved with those financial transactions?
0: Well, it goes back to the kind of the earlier question around a portfolio. It's having leadership understand that there's any different lever that we can pull. If we don't want to do another two or three large-scale renewable projects, where are we going to invest money in energy efficiency? I mean, it's reducing the denominator has a direct impact of increasing your percent renewable numbers. And so I think it's looking at it from a portfolio strategy. That drives that. And as I was kind of getting to before you cut me off earlier, <laughs> is that, you know, the portfolio strategy really is around each individual spoke. So energy efficiency, whether we self-invest, whether we go through energy performance contracts, whether we do multiple renewable projects across green tariffs, working with utilities or portfolios, thinking about it from energy storage, you know, obviously we're transitioning to an all-electric future, How does energy storage, fleets of EVs, how does that come into play when you think about rates and tariffs and designs? And then how do we leverage our policy and scale? Since I was cut off, I'm getting to the fourth pillar. How do we leverage (laughs) that policy and scale to really come across and and think about that and use our collective voice to to really move the industry forward? And so I think between those four pillars, it's managing the risk in any given day. You can speed up and slow down any different one of those levers, which really from a financial perspective is what the leadership wants to hear. It's not all your eggs are in one basket. It's literally saying, if we're going to invest billions of dollars in electrification, how do we think about electrification and and fleets of EVs and and addressing the intermittency that renewables bring?
3: Sure. So now I'm going to be known as the guy who rudely cut off Rob (laughs) Threlkild. I won't let you live that one up. (laughs) In our call before, when prepping on this, you had this phrase where you said, sometimes I like to zig when others are zagging. And I think it had to do with when and where you were purchasing renewables. Can you articulate a little bit more about what that whole zigzag thing was all about?
0: Yeah, you know, I saw some of the original power purchase agreement deals kind of coming for to fruition. And then a lot of these were upscale, 100 megawatts, you know, 150 megawatts. We're going to meet X percent of our facilities across, you know, multiple states. know, I looked at that as kind of, well, let's start to focus on one facility and let's take that one facility and spread it across two PPAs. Our first power purchase agreement was for 34 megawatts. The second one was for 30 megawatts third one was for 50 megawatts. And so we kind of started to look at the different ways we could get a complex to 100% renewable across two PPAs. And they settled at different hubs, even for that matter. So you think about that portfolio strategy, it was saying instead of meeting with one project, multiple sites, I'm going to meet with two projects, one site, and then I'm going to take that strategy and use that to our advantage going forward. And so everybody's doing projects in one region, I'm going to figure out a way to do a project in another region. And just kind of always looking at how do I do what the industry is doing now and then refine it, use our scale and figure out a different way to do it in a different country or the world for that matter. And so I think it's always that zigzag mentality. I'm always looking at where the industry is going now and why haven't they gone here and what can we do to make it go here? And then the industry kind of grows around that as well. And I think that's an important component if we want to green the grid. You can't just focus on one area of of the country or the world for that matter. You've got to think of it as a whole.
3: That uh, must be a lot of fun sometimes. Yes. <laughs> your, your company announced some, some pretty interesting news with respect to your EV platform and that Ultium battery and flexible global platform for the vehicle thing. And when you and I were talking, we were discussing the fact that if all U.S. drivers were moving around on electrons, it would be increased the load by what, roughly 30 to 35%, which strikes me that there's an awful lot of opportunity for mobile storage on wheels. Are there, are there plans on bringing that? mobile battery strategy into your future sustainability strategy? Yeah, I think it kind of comes back to the discussion we had before. You know, how do you
0: really entice the utilities to create tariffs that work for the consumer. To a degree, they've got that with your air conditioning. You can put a second meter on in some cases. You can then control your air conditioning bill. It's really deciding to entice the consumer to charge your electric vehicle when the grid is producing the maximum amount of wind overnight and doing it in a way that is really cost effective. I mean, in a lot of reality, the electrons that are generated overnight are significantly cheaper, much cheaper than they would be during the day. So I think it's it's leveraging that mentality in a way that educates the consumer because you want that consumer to come back and buy another electric vehicle. And so it's not so much all about the vehicle, it's about how that charging experience is as well. And that can be replicated whether it's a consumer, whether it's a fleet customer, or whether it's a university that's got a fleet of electric vehicles across their, their campus. And so I think it's coming up with that smart design around tariffs and then utilizing the fleets as a way to manage the grid as a load resource with the generation resources that are, that are generated at the same time.
3: So smart charging and maybe in the future vehicle to grid bidirectional flows. Though.
0: Yeah, I think you've got all of that technology. The you know the decade of 2020 to 2030, I think is going to be really interesting. As much as we've seen 2010 to 2020, yeah. this next decade is really going to enable that. You know, the
3: high speed technology is out there now to be able to do quite a bit. Yes, yeah, so it's it's been interesting watching announcements that Mary Barra and others in the company have made, and, and clearly the culture has changed. But how do you see that change? And then what? What are the employees that and the and the folks you interact with? How do they articulate what they want to see out of GM in terms of sustainability with the with the power that a company and a platform like you have?
0: I think we've really rallied around the zero 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 mantra that we've got, and it's Road right, Zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. Obviously, the RE one hundred goal fits keenly mm-hmm. into the zero emissions part of it, and the vehicle fits into that. So, one thing I've seen the you know the companies we've rallied around zero 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 is also been electricity before was a commodity, something we needed. We wanted a cost and reliability there to be able to manufacture vehicles. And now it's, how do we think about this completely different? How does the consumer charge that electric vehicle? When do they charge that electric vehicle? And on what do they charge that electric vehicle? Because there's a lot of interest in truly greening the grid in a way that drives the consumer to a zero carbon future. And so you've seen a lot of real interest in the company you know, focused on that space and how battery storage and the EV itself are going to play an important component of, you know,
3: ultimately a zero emission future. Great. Thank you. A little bit longer, I'll give you some more leeway on these last two questions with a little more time, a luxury of time. So, first of all, there are, what, 100 Fortune 100s out there by my account, and they have the luxury of being able to staff with full-time professionals such as yourself, but the carbon issue is a global one. And there are thousands of smaller companies also with sustainability mandates, some of them with a single part-time person struggling to understand, other new appointees in those positions. How do we help accelerate the learning process of this community that we ultimately all have to be a part of?
0: Yeah, I think one of the, the key aspects are through platforms like this and, and getting them engaged and being able to reach out to them. So, you know, as we have these types of platforms, whether it's smart energy decisions, you know, join an NGO as well. The Renewable Energy Buyers Alliance is another great example of how do we scale up renewables beyond the typical, call it Fortune 100 companies. For us to truly address, to get to a zero carbon future and a zero emission future, we've got to be able to educate the ones that have a part-time job. And the other thing we as large companies can do is set our sights on. to how do we ultimately drive goals that get us to a grid that's 100% carbon-free? Can't think about just our company in that process. So as we think about designs, simplification of power purchase agreements, how do we grow the portfolio of green tariffs in a way that these green tariffs become user-friendly that anyone can do? Because you ultimately want to be able to just transfer your service. Let's say if you're moving, you know, or build a new plant, you can automatically, it's going to come with renewable energy. I mean, there's no other option out there. And Mm -hmm. so ultimately, that's what you really want the grid to get to. And in a way, the companies that are buying those that may only have a utility person that does 10% of it, and all they do is validate the bill, that's all they continue to still have to do. And so I think we as companies have to continue to move the envelope beyond for how fast renewables have come down in price is to continue moving the investment into that direction. And it kind of gets back to, as we have the discussions in this space, why energy efficiency, you know, source and renewable storage and policy really come into play. Because as we get into those policy discussions, it's not just saying, hey, it's just GM that wants that, you know, we're working through various advocacy groups and various others that say, look, how many of these companies that are employees within your state it starts to wake them up that, hey, we need to move the needle. But the other interesting thing that really, I think, has transitioned in this is that the utilities are highly engaged in this space right now as well they file their integrated resource plans they are accelerating retirements of fossil generation because they're more costly and replacing it with lower cost generation which benefits all consumers and so i think in the end it's having that kind of conversation it gets it beyond the teams and companies that have a team of energy professionals to the ones that ultimately have a person whose 10% of the day is their job focused on energy where the rest of it is focused on other
3: important parts of the business Great, thanks. And so, last question Google announced recently an effort to develop what they call a carbon intelligent computing platform that essentially time shifts those flexible compute tasks to periods when there are more renewables on the grid. Let's, if it were California, be right in the middle of the day when the duck curve is, is happening there. And it's talking about shifting not only with respect to time, but also location, like moving data center load, compute load two areas that are greener. We've discussed in our prep call the need for the industry to take other innovative steps like that. What sorts of things… You're out there all the time talking in the space. What other sorts of cutting-edge, cool things are you seeing that you'd love to see replicated or at least thought processes directed towards?
0: yeah it ultimately does come down to technology. I mean just the example you gave there is the ability to shift load real time ten fifteen years ago. you hardly had data centers, and the ones that were there were much smaller in scale and size than you see of the data centers today and so I think you know it's it's leveraging technology it's educating the consumer you know as we go to electrification with electric vehicles when you think about that you're completely changing the the mindset of how you actually drive that vehicle. It's not going to the gas station anymore. It's going plugging in at home or plugging in at work or plugging in on a drive if you're taking a vacation since a lot of folks are now driving places. And so, I think it ultimately comes down to how you actually educate the customer of how technology can be their friend. Your smartphone can do a lot of things. And so, how do you come up with the apps that really entice people to want to figure out when they want to use that energy? I have a ability now through my smartphone to be able to monitor down to the plug what every individual socket in this house is doing if I literally wanted to do that at that level. And so, that's education. Again, if your kids are running the air conditioner too much, I can see on the phone what they're doing and I can dial it back and lock it down. So, I mean, you've got technology out there. Yeah, you got to do those things. And then they quickly figure out that, oh, I better not be using the air conditioner at those times. But those are the key things that ultimately enable the grid to get through. You know, we're having a hot streak right now, obviously, in many parts of this country, We've gotten the notifications of the grid getting to the point where we may have to curtail electricity. We haven't gotten there, and I think that's through a lot of the technology efforts, and notifications that the utilities are engaging with their customers and providing advance notice. You know, we had more than twenty-four hour advance notice that, and we obviously know what the weather is going on too, but advance notice of what what we can do. And so if the customer is wanting to charge that electric vehicle and they realize it's going to cost me 10 times more if I charge it right now than if I waited four more hours, that's going to probably entice you. Cause I know how many people, and I know we've all probably done it. You've driven down the street and you go, wow, gallon of gas is X here. And I've driven to eggs, hey, two cents a gallon cheaper. Well, I'm going to go right here. You know, you've that two cents a gallon enticed you to stop at that gas. Saves problem. you 40 so cents. They yeah. Saves you 40 yeah. cents in the end. So I mean, <laughs> you don't realize that, but just that savings model. So I think, you know, we've got to really kind of educate the customer in a way that they see those real savings. And I think, that's the part that we can really do. It's not so much, you may shift load, but I think educating the consumer where they can see these savings is an important part of really getting to a green grid and leveraging the technology that gets us there. You know, I kind of got back to that fleet discussion earlier. We can do fleets of electric vehicles, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a company that's got the fleet. It can be a, literally a fleet of homeowners that a notice goes out that says, don't charge your electric vehicle right now unless you want to pay X, you know, wait four more hours and you can charge then. And all you do is you see it on your phone or you pre-program it into the car and the the grid talks to the car and says, stop charging during this time period. We're Mm -hmm. hitting a peak component. And then the vehicle starts charging again when the pulse comes from the technology. And so it's literally shifting the load based on the pulses that the grid is sending to the electric vehicles real time. And so that's another great example that you can really do. And as we think about all the countries looking at electrification, that's a great way to match supply with demand.
3: Great. Well, it looks like we're just about out of time, but it sounds like you're looking forward to a really interesting decade with a lot of changes and GM right and you right square in the middle of that. So, we're going to be looking forward to seeing what you're doing in the years to come and having you continue to be engaged in that SED conversation. So, thanks so much, Rob, for your time. And I apologize for having been such a cruel taskmaster.
0: That's okay. I appreciate the time as well. It's always exciting when it's in the
3: energy space. All right. You take care. Stay healthy. Bye now. Thanks, you
2: too. Yep. We'd like to thank Rob Threlkeld for his insights and what proved to be a lively conversation with Peter Kelly Ditweiler. For a summary of the conversation and Rob's bio, see the detailed show notes for the episode at our website, smartenergydecisions.com. And to our listeners, Thanks for engaging with our content and being a part of the Smart Energy Decisions community. We're very excited about the first season of inspiring guests and interviews that we've put together for you and hope they'll help guide you to Smart Energy Decisions. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and tell your colleagues and peers in the industry about it.
1: Thanks for listening to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast. Digest the insights from today's episode and take action on the ideas that have inspired you. Join us every Friday for conversations with smart energy leaders. We also invite you to check out another SED podcast, Beyond the Meter. Each episode of Beyond the Meter features innovative energy projects and initiatives by large electric power users. To keep up to date with trends and happenings in the energy transition, visit smartenergydecisions.com to register for our daily newsletter and become part of the Smart Energy Decisions community.